Welcome to the Thoughts of Suicide podcast. I'm Nate Glover. The idea of the show is to work towards reducing the stigma by having conversations about suicide and mental health, and to provide support to those dealing with suicide in any capacity. If you are in a suicide crisis or experiencing emotional distress, please call 800-273-8255 or text the word HOME to 741-741. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Thoughts of Suicide podcast, episode number 15. And if you've listened to this and you've thought, you know what, I would be a good guest for this podcast, or I know somebody that would be a good guest, I have a form. It's in the links here in the show notes that you could fill out. Tell me about yourself, why you think you would be a good guest for the show. And then I'll reach out to you and we'll schedule a conversation. And that's exactly what my guest today did. Jen, thank you for filling out the form. Of course. I'm excited. So when you filled out the form, you mentioned that you are, you said the reverse of what I normally have on the podcast. What do you mean by that? So I think that unfortunately, I'm kind of conditioned to be cynical towards threats of suicide or even when people start talking like that naturally um unfortunately my eyes kind of like roll because I've been threatened with that a lot my entire life by my mom like specifically and then I've also had friends that are I don't want to say overly dramatic because I feel like that definitely minimizes the problem right and that's what I don't want to be like but in my mind I automatically do minimize it because I just think if you speak it to me, you're using it manipulatively or like you wouldn't actually do it. You're just telling me this because you want me to react in a certain way to you telling me that basically. It's just my own personal inside my head. I'm going through like, is this real? Is this, I don't know. It's just a totally fucked up way to think about it in my own mind. I feel like. When did your mom first start using threats of suicide? against you? Basically what happened is, um, I was the only child for three and a half years. My brother's about three and a half years younger than me. My mom was mentally sound working 60 hours a week, you know, normal freelance artist and everything. And then when she had my brother, I guess hormones, which now having kids, I can totally see a change in hormones after having kids took a hold and she, I think she ended up basically getting um, admitted into a psych ward and they diagnosed her with uh, depression, bipolar, or it was manic depression, bipolar, personality disorder, uh, borderline schizophrenia. Like this is all over the years. You know, I think at first it started out as uh, bipolar. And so my very young childhood, I would say probably from five to 12, It was my mom in and out of psych wards, getting her meds readjusted. My dad traveled for work as he was a salesman. And so me and my brother would go to my aunt and uncles or my dad eventually hired like a, a, what do you call those people where they'll come across country to go to school and they'll live with you and help take care of your kids. I forget what the name of it is. 
it was a little rocky. And then I think eventually the mental illness and then my mom has a tendency, and I'm not sure if this is part of the mental illness or if it's her using the mental illness against others, you know, basically they got divorced. They didn't, couldn't come to agreement on being together. So they divorced and my dad, due to my mom's mental illness, um, ended up getting custody of me and my brother. I wouldn't say like, I ever felt like she used it against me until I was old enough to know that it was a manipulation sort of thing. So I'd say about like 13, 14, I started feeling like anytime I brought up an issue with her or any criticism of her, what she was doing or whatever was met with a panic attack or you know, later on it escalated more to, uh, you know, she'd say she's going to cut her wrist and she'd like butter knife scratch her wrist up, you know, and be kind of crazy like that. And, but the one specific um, incident, the suicide threat was my 21st birthday. We invited my friends from Richardson or Dallas, I guess, for people that don't live in Texas. And at the time I had been living near Fort Worth. And so we had invited everybody out to a restaurant my mom had, and she was going to pay. And so it was like this big deal, including my dad and his wife. They came that day before my birthday party. Um, I had taken my daughter to the doctor because she kept having these ear infections over and over again. And my mom and I both smoked cigarettes. My mom specifically chain smoked really bad in the house. And so I had already been telling her, like, if you're going to watch my daughter, please, like, air the house out at least. And then when she's there, don't smoke in the house. Well, when I had gone to the doctor, they said that could be a cause of ear infections is if you smoke around a, a young child. And so I told her when I got home, I said, hey, you know, that's what he said. So me and you need to be better about not smoking around Skyline and whatnot. And she just like freaked out, kind of like I was I guess, blaming it just solely on her and didn't take any responsibility for it myself or whatever. So fast forward to that night, we all are getting ready to go to uh, my birthday dinner. And she tells me and my stepdad to go ahead and that she'll meet us there. So we get there, everybody shows up, she never shows up. My dad ends up paying for everybody. And we just kind of like, pretend like she must not be feeling well or whatever. And when we get home, there's a note and it's a suicide note, basically, stating how we don't value her. The only person that does is her husband. And we're two ungrateful children and this and that. And, like, she didn't need to be around anymore. And so then my stepdad proceeds to freak out. And I guess this must have happened enough times before to where I was like, look, dude, her makeup bag is gone. Okay, like, I don't think she <laughs> is going anywhere like that. But he's calling the police and all this stuff. and. I'm trying to calm him down, and lo and behold, they find her in a hotel in Denton. Ever since then, I just kind of, like, don't address problems with her. I just kind of bottle them up instead, and I'm like, whatever, I'll vent to someone else. I get that. Did she ever seek professional help or get professional treatment for her mental illness? Yes, and she, in fact, I would say relies very heavily on professionals. So unlike a normal bipolar person, she does take her meds a lot, like all the time. She's very consistent, has a very clean house, very uh, scheduled life. You know, she's not the typical that goes on and off the meds. She sees a professional, maybe I would say more than 
she might need to, you know, it's like the doctors, she's also older and she's in the house a lot. And so, uh, the doctors tend to become like her best friend kind of situation. And I can see how that could be extremely frustrating to you because she may have had intent, but she didn't have a plan. She didn't have access to means to carry it out. Yeah. So just to hear the threat over and over again, did she bring this up pretty much any time there was conflict? Oh, yeah. And it's still to this day. I mean, I can't. And I can even be like what I think is great. You know, we go to Easter. Everything's fine. But apparently it was deemed as me being too quiet. And so she sat around and thought too much. And now she thinks like maybe this one specific thing she said, which I don't even remember her saying set me off and that's why I wasn't talking or am I mad at her? You know, it's just always something. And so as a child of someone with mental illness, and then I've been diagnosed myself with bouts of depression and stuff, it's exhausting. Yeah. And it does kind of uh, force your mind, I think, to put a certain stigma behind any mental illness sometimes, especially when somebody approaches you and that's maybe the first thing that they talk about with you, you know, like that's what defines them kind of thing sort of a red flag to me anyways as something like oh god do I need another mom (laughs) you know kind of situation did your mom use threats of suicide to get you to do something she wanted you to do for example if you don't come visit me this weekend I just might kill myself not that I can remember it's mostly when being confronted with uh, misbehavior of some sort or what she might deem that way. She didn't live up to her own standards, maybe it is. And When she would threaten suicide, do you think that she was deliberately manipulating you? Or do you think she really had intent? That's a good question. I think that is a hard thing for someone else to say about someone because... I mean, I know myself, I'm not diagnosed bipolar or anything like that, but I've certainly had moments where I've been so low that I don't want to be here, you know, but then I am aware enough to go through in my head why I am here, why I need to be here, who I need to be here for. And so I get myself out of it. I think maybe she doesn't have that filtration system due to other mental illnesses. And so it goes straight to the most dramatic thing that could possibly be done, you know, at the time. So I've heard a couple of people talk about passive suicidology and it's basically where you'll probably never do it, but the thought is always there and the thought is real. Like every time there's any kind of conflict or any kind of stress, your mind automatically goes to suicide. And I can imagine how much torture that must be just to always have that thought there. That sounds like it could be what your mom's going through. I think so. And I've definitely heard less of her. Now it's not so much like threatening suicide because she's gotten very uh, religious. So now I think she would see it as, you know, she wouldn't go to heaven if she committed suicide. So I don't see her maybe using that as well in her learning of things. That's what she believes. So. So that would prevent her from going through with her plan, but it still wouldn't get rid of the suicidal thoughts. Like, right, that's still going to be there. But the good thing is she's taking medication and she's getting professional help. Yeah. When I think manipulation and suicide, I normally think of the 
romantic relationship where there might be a breakup. Someone might say, you know, if you're going to leave me, I'm just going to kill myself. And this is something you've dealt with as well, right? It is actually uh, with my first boyfriend. And I was with him for, I think, a total of probably five years in junior high and high school. He would go so far as to, like, do crazy shit, like, move the car crazy on the highway with us in it. And so it wasn't just like, I'm going to take myself down. I'm taking you down with me kind of thing. But we did have a fight one night where he got in his car and said he was going to go commit suicide. And I'm like frantic and freaking out. And he uh, drives like, like fast down this apartment parking lot. And then I think he hit the curb really hard or something, but his head hit the horn and like knocked himself out. And so all you hear is this damn horn beeping at the end of this thing and I was freaking the freak out you know I was really scared and of course like if it was manipulation which I fully believe it was he's an awful person he's in jail by the way but I mean now I think back and I'm like if that happened say if my husband Earl did that now would I even take him seriously or would I just completely write it off because I've already been like almost numb to it from prior situations and I'm sure I'm not the only one I'm sure a lot of people have had you know, I think a certain type of person attracts a certain type of other person. And I tend to not have very high boundaries as far as friends go. And I want to help people and I want to fix them and stuff. And so I do tend to attract people that need fixing. <laughs> and so with that comes a lot of times behaviors that can be manipulative. I think you can be preyed on at times like that. Just from listening to you speak, I think you would agree that all threats of suicide should be taken seriously. Yeah. So for people that might be in a situation like this, there are some things you can say <laughs> that show that you care, but you're not going to give in to their demands. One might be, I don't want to have a relationship with you because I'm afraid of you dying. Our relationship okay. should be based on love and respect, not threats. Or the one I like is... I love you and I care for you, but I cannot stop you from committing suicide, even though I wish I could. Saying right. something like that shows that you care, but also doesn't let them manipulate your decisions. Now, obviously, these are easier said than done. I mean, it's a tough situation. Literally, the person's putting their life in your hands like this is now your duty right. to save my life. Yeah. And it's not. And it. It's a hard place to put yourself in at the moment, especially when you have cared for that person and maybe your feelings aren't so strong anymore, but you still love them. You don't want them to die, you know, in most cases. So, and even if you did, it wouldn't, you know, be because of you, you wouldn't want that. So I think it's a hard thing at the moment, in the moment to be like, okay, let me think and say <laughs> like this calmly put out sentence, you know? Yeah. And to be fair, you know, in that situation, you're trying to end a relationship. It's almost like you have to either give in or completely shut them off and try not to have guilt. Right. It doesn't seem like there's a middle ground, really. Like right. So I guess that middle ground is saying, you know, I do not want to stay in a relationship with you just because I'm afraid of you dying. Right. I want it to be because I actually want to be with you. I'm right. threatened to be with you. Right. And then they say, well, then I'm just going to kill myself. And then that's when you say, I wish I could stop right. you, but I can't. 
And if they do actually take their own life, it's not your fault because it was not an option for you to stay in a relationship because of a threat. I know. It sounds harsh. I can't honestly see myself in reality saying those things in that situation just because I I don't know. That would be a really hard thing to say to somebody while they're saying that. I guess you would have to know them well enough to know. Well, the next step could be referring them to a professional and advising that they get help. You're not the one to help them, but there is somebody that can help. My brother has a little bit of a different story with my mom and only talks to her when I pretty much bitch at him to call her because he's a... He became a drug addict. I think a lot of her mental illness uh, did actually go down towards him more than me. And um, he turned to heroin for a long, long time. And so she's definitely a trigger for that when he's around her because of basically what I talked about, you know, just always feeling guilty. You can never do right. You always have to hear about her mental illness, her story, her life, God, you know, you're just it's all whatever it is that's consuming her at the moment is what you're about to get drowned in you know when you're with her and I don't think he knowingly was trying to commit suicide but I think that you know he was at that low I think there's different ways of committing suicide and that he just didn't care to live you know yeah so suicide can look different with different people I heard a story of someone recently who they had a very serious medical condition and they just given up on life so they didn't get medical treatment That was their way of giving up on life. So with drug addiction, depending on the situation, I think you can look at it as a form of suicide. Mm. If they are actively trying to get sober, then that's different. But if they are doing drugs and they just don't care, then yeah, I kind of see it as a form of suicide. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between like two, like smoking pot and doing occasional drugs like mushrooms or something like that where or sticking a needle in your arm and getting addicted to heroin meth or super hard drugs that when you that you could die if you just do it once you know and well you're doing it to escape life right of course yeah and that's basically what suicide is that's what i told my brother eric is when he was on heroin i'm like why like all it does is make you not off and basically I guess you feel euphoric on the inside, but to everyone else, you're like this dead thing, you know, just sitting there like you're literally worthless. And so I don't understand the need to keep doing that. I know after you keep after you do it once, though, you're hooked. So why would you ever try a drug that you know that about, you know, right to me is hard. And then when you have people begging you to just stop because they know the next needle could be your death. Yeah, I do think it is knowingly trying to commit suicide, if not actively doing it slowly. How is your brother now? Now he is clean. He had relapsed a little bit. I want to say like maybe two months ago. It was like a really short relapse, thank God, because he has a kid now, a fiance. And But I know all of us were, you know, hanging on the edge of our seats because unlike addicts are supposed to, he had gotten clean and gotten in a relationship. And I think his relationship and his child have a lot to do with his sobriety, unfortunately. And so for me, I was, I was a mess because I was like, oh my God, you know, she's going to leave him. If she leaves him, he's done, which is horrible. I should have more faith in him than that. But I just haven't seen that, you know, in the past. And he snapped out of it. Thank God. 
I mean, it's something he'll have to battle forever, you know. And then being a fiance or girlfriend, wife, whatever, to a drug addict is hard. You can't decide to take a Xanax, you know, on the weekend or something for fun or drink for fun or sometimes even smoke pot for fun because they just know how to take that to level a thousand, you know, within like a minute. And so I think she's also learning because she didn't know him as an addict. It's, it's tough to watch someone go through this horrible disease. You know, it's a good thing that he met someone who is not an addict. Because I've seen this even in my own family where you meet someone in rehab. (laughs) And you might both be doing really good, but when one messes up, they both mess up. Yeah, if it wouldn't trigger him, I would tell you to have him uh, on the show. He did date a chick when he was in NA, like when he was going every, every day. He met a girl. He did break up with her and he was ignoring phone calls and stuff because she got, you know, crazy or whatever. And I think she was threatening suicide and stuff. Then unfortunately, he got a call, you know, from her parents that she had ended up, I guess, succeeding in some way, shape or form. She did drugs, overdosed and died. And I know he has never lived that down and thinks it's his fault for breaking up with her and not answering the phone. Yeah. Stuff like that. So adding that to drug addiction, mental illness and everything else. Hmm. Man. I mean, I can't imagine even, you know, in your circumstance having, you know, my brother, if he hadn't stuck around, I'd, you know, he's my best friend. Right. I know how hard that would be. I know how hard it was to watch him actively dying, you know? So it's awful. And that's why I don't want to desensitize to it, but it's like, I think maybe for people that, have thoughts like that, maybe this will help them to not address it with their children or those, you know, I think there's an important line that you don't cross with your kids. And that's one of them. Right. Because you're putting pressure on them that they should not have to have. Right. If you really are having thoughts of suicide, you should talk to a best friend, a counselor, a crisis helpline, but not your children. Kids don't know how to handle that. If we had a whole generation of children that are desensitized to people's threats of suicide, I mean, then, or men- mental illness at all, then hmm. I don't know what that even looks like. You know, it looks like robots with no emotions walking around and not caring about one another. And it's certainly not what we want. I don't know. I actively try to work on like separating my mom is mentally ill this way. And right. there's, you know, everybody else is different. And just because she said it in one way doesn't mean everybody says it in that way. But it is hard. The initial reaction is definitely, like I said, an eye roll because it's just like, I always was just like, well, if you were going to do it, you wouldn't tell me, you know, and that's such a horrible like way to look at it. But it's what I experienced, you know. And that's the thing. It's different with everyone. I had a coworker who was always in a happy mood. No one saw it coming. But then you have people like my brother who we knew there was a good chance that he might take his life someday. Why? Well, he was undiagnosed, but we're fairly certain he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. He thought everyone was against him. There was no way he was going to go get professional help. In the months leading up to his death, he shared with me the pain and torment he was going through from his PTSD in the paranoid schizophrenia, he would talk about the demons in his head. And I mean, you could see it in his eyes. You could see it in his face, the pain that he was in. We knew he was miserable. 
So even though it was shocking when he took his own life, it wasn't a complete surprise. Some people it is. You just do not know because we, we're good at putting that mask on. Right. Yeah. I mean, what is it? Robin Williams is a prime example of a happy face that was dead, you know, inside. He was hurting really bad. And I think probably I'm more happy and outgoing when I am depressed. I'm like trying to counteract it almost. So if you asked somebody I talked to that day, they probably wouldn't tell you like, oh, she seemed at her low low, you know, they'd probably say I seemed awesome or something because you just hide it. Yeah. I had a licensed therapist on several weeks ago and the way she worded it was they show you what they want to show you. Yeah. I mean, and that's with a lot of people. It's not just people with mental illness either. It's like people that are just kind of closed off. Don't want to like be vulnerable like that. Or you get people like me where I'm like, I'll tell you freaking things you never wanted to know about me, you know, or whatever and have no filter. And so there's, Kind of no in between, I think. Mm. And with Robin Williams, he was an actor. So that's what he did. He could act. And maybe he offset his depression by making others happy. You know, I think. Definitely. Sometimes when I feel low, I want to focus on other people's problems other than my own so that I'm not like sucked into that pit or whatever of just like my despair and everything's about me and my my life, you know, or whatever. Cause if you do that, I think a lot of people can get depressed really easily. If you just sit there and think about all the bad things that have happened or are going on or whatever, it's very easy to get in a negative headspace, especially with COVID and being locked down. And a lot of us aren't as social as we used to be. As an adult, how do you handle it when your mom talks about wanting to kill herself? <sighs> Probably not well. Mostly these days, I don't actually talk to my mom on the phone very much. I text. I make sure to text her every day because I know that speaking with me in some way aligns with her being a good mom or whatever. That's it's directly connected in her mind. But for my own boundaries and reasons that I have, you know, kids and other things to worry about, I can't get sucked into that hole for an entire day or week or whatever. When she starts talking about mainly just about all the negatives and gets in her little wormhole. I try to send her pictures of the kids or be like, oh, but remember, you know, this painting you did was amazing. Or, you know, just, I don't know, start changing the subject, which maybe isn't the right thing to do with everybody. But I think with her, if I was to focus on the way she was feeling at the time, it would just take her deeper and to that feeling. So as an adult, I've put up boundaries, but I try to maintain my position as being there for her, regardless of how it affects me. Yeah. And it's hard in that moment to remember that when they say something hurtful or shocking, that it's a mental illness. In the case with your mom, when she's saying that she doesn't want to live anymore, she may not be actively trying to manipulate you. She may really feel those things. Oh, I definitely think she's thinking those things. And a lot of the times I tell her too is like, get out and take a walk or something because sitting in, admittedly, she sits in her recliner a lot of the day and watches like HGTV or jewelry channel or whatever. And she has endless amounts of time to think, whereas I'm the opposite. I have four kids. I have a business. I have two podcasts. You know, I'm like going, going, going. And so to me, I'm like, how did you even have time to think about the one damn thing you said 10 days ago when, you know, we've all moved past that by now. Right. I try to get her to just kind of like 
go do something like go do something besides sitting there and rotting and you know, your anger or your sadness or whatever, because it's not helping anybody. It's not helping me. It's not helping her. And frankly, I have told her in the past, you know, it, it does make me uh, not want to talk as much, you know, because I don't have the time or I say this a lot. I don't have the time to be sad. I really just don't feel like I do have the time to sit there and be like, this is why I'm sad. Let me work through my problems and whatever. I push it down, you know, and like move on because that's what life is happening right now, you know which isn't healthy either. I think there's a, a good balance between keeping yourself busy and, you know, not focusing so much on yourself. So I'm curious how much this has all affected you. Let's say if a friend of yours now came to you and said that they did not want to live anymore, how would you react? Oh, it depends on the friend. Cause like I said, I have, uh, I think uh, being around my mom for so long has before I knew what boundaries were and how to put them up, I have adopted a lot of friends that are the same kind of way, you know, maybe not manipulative, but maybe they drink a lot. And so they say things they don't mean at the time or, you know, whatever. But if it's a normal friend and they're saying that and they don't have any of that history, I would react, I think, in a way of like, I'm coming over. Granted, I'm going to have my four damn kids with me, but we're about to go grab ice cream, go shopping. I'll sit with you. We can cry. We'll smoke a pack of cigarettes, whatever the hell you want to do until, you know, whoever gets here or you can come back home with me kind of thing. But only for so long, you know, because again, I've let it affect my life a lot and I just am not at a place where I'm willing to do that anymore. So I would try to offer my own help. I would try to get them help, you know, try to get them into a facility if they were willing to a lot of times though the problem is people don't want to give up control to a facility for even 72 hours or whatever even at their lowest you know it's definitely hard to make an adult do something they don't want to do so we have a lot more to talk about and i'm going to save a lot of this conversation for the patrons over on patreon.com but one of the things we're going to talk about is when you were cutting as a teenager, and your parents didn't notice it. But do you think it's possible they did notice it, they just did not know how to address it, or they were too afraid to address it? Um, I think it's possible that my dad didn't want to address it. He's very rose-colored glasses. Uh, all you need to do is just exercise or you know, eat different or something, and you'll change the way you're thinking about things or you know, optimist, the ultimate optimist. And um, my stepmom at the time, I think was probably so overloaded with uh, having now four kids instead of two. We were literally like twin step siblings. So two in each grade, plus a slew of animals. So I think she probably didn't notice it. If my dad did notice it, he didn't want to address it. And he traveled a lot again. So I don't know if he noticed or not. I know that from my perspective, it started out as definitely a cry for help and a cry for attention and then became more habitual of just a way to deal with uh, depression instead of like actually diving into it. Just on the surface, see it happen. And it's like it felt better somehow. So you mentioned that your cutting started out as a way to get attention, but then it developed into something more. Do you think that's could have been what happened with your mom? 
Oh, certainly. Yeah. I think uh, we all can be like that, you know, especially in relationships or close relationships with people, you have a tendency to maybe like say the one thing, you know, gets on your significant other's nerves so bad that, you know, he'll finally discuss the problem or, you know, whatever. You just find little buttons to push and stuff. And maybe that was hers. You know, nobody pays attention until I'm going to kill myself, you know, and then everybody stops and actually addresses my problem or whatnot. And so, yeah, I do. I think that correlation is uh, probably very correct. (laughs) One I haven't drawn before, but yeah. (laughs) So let's go back to the, when I was talking about, you filled out the form and you said, you are the reverse of what I normally have on this podcast. I want to say I disagree because I want to have people on to talk about suicide, to talk about mental health, to raise awareness and to, I want to normalize these conversations. And that's exactly what we did today. To be honest, I thought you were going to come on here and be completely dismissive of anyone who says they are suicidal. And that's obviously not the case. Well, I love people, period. Like, I could meet a stranger and I love them immediately. So it's hard to be dismissive of someone else's emotions completely. But like I said, the initial eye roll is definitely my go-to feeling when I even hear about it, you know. And But that is totally understandable based on your previous experiences. And I'm glad you could come on and talk about it today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah. I, pre- I appreciate providing a platform that a lot of people won't even begin to tackle. You know, it's not an easy subject to speak about. Right. And like I said, we still have a lot more to talk about, and we're going to carry that over to Patreon.com. But before we go, would you like to talk about your podcast? I have uh, two podcasts that I'm on. One is more a YouTube channel that I just recently started co-hosting with my friend Josh. Um it's called the mindless morning show. So we're on YouTube and then all the platforms. And we usually interview, I would say more like behind the scenes, like casting directors, um, guitarists of Pink Floyd or, you know, that have worked with tons of bands. And so that one's kind of cool and lighthearted and I um, have really enjoyed it. I just started that about a month ago. And then The other is Speculate With Us, which is where I like to talk about things that are conspiratorial, maybe controversial, things typically that would people would blow a gasket about on social media. I like to have civil conversations with people and try to work it out. And even if we don't come to a conclusion, still walk away being okay in our own, you know, beliefs or whatnot and okay with other people having their own as well. So, yeah. All right. I will put both of those links in the show notes. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that maybe we did not cover? No, I mean, I just appreciate you taking the time and seeing it the way you have. I've honestly haven't opened up a lot about it um, with people because I do. I don't want it to come off as um, being insensitive. And so um, I do. I don't know. I guess I appreciate giving at least that side of it and those people that might feel the same way I do a voice because can't be the only one that's what i always say anyway so all right well that is it for the podcast today make sure you go over to patreon.com and sign up for as little as one dollar a month to catch bonus content including quite a bit more conversation that i had with jen see you next time